Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining Kim and I today on The Wonderful World of Wine. How are you, Kim? Hey, Mark. I'm good. How are you? Everything is great. Always excited to uh, talk wine with our listeners and hear Kim and I fight about something this week. (laughs) Always a good chance. Always a good good chance. Anyway. It's a healthy debate. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I like that, the way you said it. (laughs) We have a a few stories of things that have been floating around. People probably saw them in the news. There's been some studies that were done on wine, and we thought we'd talk about them today. And the first one is wine drinkers no less and they don't care. And this was a winesearcher.com report, Kim, that was a UK study. So Mm -hmm. what'd you think about this? Yeah, we do get a lot of our studies, study reports that we talk about. A lot of them really do come out of the UK. And it's, it's so interesting that there is still this focus on England being the home of sort of wine appreciation, wine studies, sort of wine knowledge. So uh, sort of fascinating that every every once in a while we we run into these articles that are either for the English market or have done studies of the English market. But the real, I think, point of this article was that there's a certain level of knowledge that wine drinkers have. And yes, the title of the article is that wine drinkers know less, but they did point out in this article that they only know marginally less than they did a couple of years ago. But I actually thought that the interesting point was where it spoke to people having to retain less information in their brains because they're keeping all of their info on their smartphone. So you don't necessarily have to remember what wine region you like the best because you can just go look up your wine history or your buying history, or maybe you have an account on Vivino or you've taken pictures of bottles. So it's more, I think, the integration of technology and not that people know less or that wine drinkers know less, but that they have favorites, you know, and they have ways of remembering the things that they like. So much to say on this. I guess first for me, Kim, I was kind of discouraged for us being wine educators and doing all this to promote wine and to see that trending, the knowledge in wine is going down. So they, like you said, they said the average consumer knows little less than they did two years ago. But they said those people that know less are spending more on wine. So they're still consuming wine. And this all goes back to the thing we say, try to learn about the wine that you're drinking. It just seems people don't want to learn about it, but they want to drink. So that's a good thing and a a bad thing to me. And uh, you mentioned about the young consumers outsourcing. And like you said, I I also agree the, the memory part, they're saying they're relying more on Googling internet and apps. It's also another sad thing because they're not relying on the restaurant or the, or the shopkeepers to help them with mm. their consumption. So they don't want to really hear what I have to say or you have to say about the wine as much as Googling something and then just going and, and buying it. That leads to the whole knowledge base going down. So yeah. Sad in a way. 
And do you feel like you've seen that in your real world experiences that people would rather walk around with their phone and look things up on their phones as opposed yeah. to ask you questions? Yeah, I have yeah, really? I've seen people hold, you know, holding the phone. I know they're using Vivino or something. They're looking up, checking maybe the ratings on it. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask them, are you using this or that? Oh, yeah. And they, yeah. Do you need help? No, no help. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in a lot of times it might just be to check price. You could be referencing if the price is in the correct range or not, which I understand. Uh-huh. Another thing on this, Kim, they said they asked in the study, they asked consumers how many varietals, how many regions that we're aware of, right, and the types of wines that they're consuming. I thought you, this was interesting. Yeah, and it based on the UK, like you said, but they did compare the UK to the US. And they were saying the the EU is more knowledgeable on regions, but the US was more aware of brands. Mm -hmm. And this hit right on the head where we went a few weeks ago talking about brand loyalty and sticking to a brand. So that actually made sense. And I think that sometimes there is a fine line between regions and brand. And some countries do a little bit of a better job, I feel like, of having the public awareness of their wines. And people think about maybe a style of wine or a type of wine and don't necessarily have a particular producer in mind when they want to buy it, but they know, they just know the the type of wine. And the, the one that immediately comes to mind for me is, is always Chianti. It's like people might not realize that Chianti is a region or that Chianti is a particular blend of grapes, but they know they've had it before or there's something in their their memory or their heritage where it's important. And so they will therefore have that loyalty to that particular type of wine. And, you know, I feel like there are a number of different wine styles out there that could almost be classified as brands. Prosecco is kind of another one. You know, people... If people like Prosecco, they'll be buying Prosecco and the actual brand maybe matters a little bit less than that, making sure that it says that on the label. Yeah, the Chianti is a good example of drinkers not wanting to know more than Chianti. They don't want to know there's different levels of it. They don't want to know there's different blends of it. They don't even want to know what the grape is that's in Chianti. (laughs) They think it's Chianti, right? So, I mean, that that was a really good example. Uh, the article mentioned something came about uh, consumer confidence in buying wine in the U.S. has also dropped, which we were kind of talking about trending. Mm-hmm. They mentioned something about, is it a good thing that they are buying, people are buying wine, but don't care about it? And to me, this is all good news for the big brands because people are seeing the big brands, they're buying the big brands, and they don't want to look into what's really behind the, in the mm-hmm. brand. You know, they don't care but they're supporting it. This type of study is great for those five big corporations in the wine world for them to keep pumping out wine to people. Yeah. And I feel like it speaks to that issue of simplicity on a wine label. If you just have the producer, the grape variety, and maybe where it's from in say California, but simple. Really, if there's something on that label that is what the consumer is looking for, um, whether it's a brand or whether it's a grape variety or whether it's, you know, Sonoma and they know that, that that they want something from Sonoma or they want something from Willamette, Oregon. I feel like that will jump out at a consumer, whereas the trend these days for fine wine producers 
is to go the opposite direction. And it's to put that more granular detail on the label, more about very specific appellations. And I don't think that except for that very small minority of really geeky wine drinkers, people who it's their real passion, whether they're professionals or not, they're just really into that kind of detail and that kind of specificity when it comes to what they're drinking. I feel like for the vast amount of the wine drinking, sorry, for the vast number of wine drinkers out there, that all of that really special stuff will just get swept aside because it's too confusing. And if they don't recognize any of that info on that label, then they're not going to buy it. And I don't know if that's good or that's bad. You know, I think it's good for the consumer who just wants something simple, but not necessarily good for those producers who are trying to produce the best of the best and something really unique from their site. It's really hard for those producers to grab the everyday wine drinker. All what you just said, Kim, fell right into some of the numbers that they gave saying only 10 to 12% of wine drinkers are knowledgeable. 80 to 90% are not seeking any wine knowledge. They're drinking wine, but they don't want to learn anything about it. They also said older consumers have more knowledge but spend less. Older consumers? Yeah, older consumers have more knowledge but don't that but they don't spend as much. So they're spending hmm. less on their wine. See, I and would think they would be the ones spending the money. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, if you're a retiree and maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago you discovered that you like wine and now you have hopefully. May, well, maybe that the means the older consumers don't have as much knowledge but this this spending. Yeah. More. Or maybe now you're on a fixed have knowledge and so. more watching their money. They know yeah. the good deals. Yeah. Maybe that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And they said the US drinkers consume fewer than six different varietals, basically kind of six, only six styles maybe of, of wine. And there's so, so much more out there. But again, you know, it's like who I guess for the number of consumers who really don't just want a pleasant something to drink, that it matters less that you're getting some variety and it's more that you are comfortable with the choice that you've made and that you, you know, you have those favorites and that's what you stick to. And how do you look at this feedback as, as a wine educator, Kim? Is it, does it get depressing that? Yeah. Because pool is a lot smaller of wine drinkers like translating wine drinkers into people who want to take wine classes. Like this article makes me feel like, oh, like maybe maybe there are far fewer of those people than uh, than than we thought, which is well, a little sad. Or we have to sad. go to the UK yeah. and, and teach somebody, right? Because they want to know more. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Yeah. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinlickers.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. And every week, you can find us on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. Mark and I have been talking about some recent articles that focused both on American wine drinkers, but also wine drinkers in other English speaking countries and about sort of the lack of need for information and that 
wine consumers generally have their favorites and maybe don't necessarily want any additional knowledge or information. And uh, one of the articles that was very, very interesting and had some some good key points was about wine rules and uh, how people feel about wine rules. Like, do they even matter? Should we should we stick to them? Should we follow them or should we just toss them out the window? And I, I thought the uh, the part of the there was a couple of, um, of articles and, and also a news segment. And I, I the one that really had me chuckling was different places where where people think it's appropriate to drink wine. Yeah. <laughs> that one that one had a little yeah. had me chuckling. Well, first, let's tell the listeners, Kim, they were saying Americans don't care. Right. So this this one was specifically for once again, it all comes back to us. You know, we're not doing something right. And it was (laughs) a study that the Woodbridge Wine Company surveyed 2000 Americans, 21 years and older. So it's it was done by a big. Right. So so first. So first, I I did want to bring up that in respect to making sure that when you are looking at scientific, quote unquote, scientific studies, look where the information is coming from. So this one was sponsored by a very big wine brand. So have that in the back of our minds. And you mentioned you like the part where they say where people are enjoying wine. (laughs) There were some some interesting um, places. So what were some of the numbers, Kim? I saw 43% of the people say they enjoy wine in bed. In bed. Yeah. The only time I think I've ever enjoyed wine in bed is when I'm on a Zoom call with my girlfriends and I happen to be sitting in bed (laughs) and I have a glass of wine with me. The mine in there that I am guilty of is in the bathtub. (laughs) Yeah, that was another high number. So I like that. 30% said they have wine in the bathtub. But I think that speaks to people feel like wine is their relaxation it's their special treat yeah that's a big trend on social media where you see people with the bubbles and they're holding a glass of wine i have no issue with with people enjoying wine in their downtime and maybe it's not the perfect setting for getting exactly every last aroma uh or flavor out of your wine because i'm sure that you know the smell of bubble bath is going to yeah, impact what you're it. smelling in your wine. But if you are including wine in that enjoyment of your life, I am all for it. I am there with both thumbs up. And 42% said they enjoy wine on the beach. On the beach. This is sort of a a trending thing that we have been talking about for years, I feel like, with the conversation about alternative packaging. There's uh, been all yeah. of this you know, chatter about, well, why put wine in cans? And one of the big things was portability. And you would put wine in, in a can and then you can bring it to the beach. It's you nice went, that people exactly. have beaches that allow them to bring alcohol to because I can't name any beaches I feel like I'm allowed to bring wine to, but it sure would be nice. You brought the conversation exactly where I wanted to go uh-huh. because we started off saying this was this was a study by a big wine company looking at some very unusual things where drinking wine in bed at the beach, at the bath. To me, it comes down to this seeking data to promote maybe mm-hmm. their alternative packaging, the mini <laughs> box wines or the canned wine and showing these numbers to say, hey, our smaller package wines or box wines are great for the beach or 
clever. You can spill huh? them in the bed, or you can take them in the bath. They that, that was actually one of the one of the things that occurred to me as soon as I saw who the, the group was who was doing this study. I'm like, there has yeah, something to be behind it, some sort of motive for you know. There's always a reason why wine companies. Or, you know, or any yeah. companies with their marketing. It's like, well, why are you doing more on this that study? too? Because they said eight and 10 people now don't follow wine drinking etiquette and only one in four believe the rules improve wine. So the wine experience. So to me, the corporation, their wines are probably not something eight out of 10 people would even swirl or when they're talking about drinking etiquette, I'm I'm assuming it's the smelling, the the swirling, the sipping, yeah. the tasting, the things that go along with the it's kind of the geeky part or the experience part of, of the, wine. And in these I'm type of for. wines that Woodbridge is making, it's a, just a consumable. I mean, it's there to enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a wine for drinking. So many people probably don't do that with these brands. It makes sense. The one that stood out. To me, again, was the 43% put ice in their wine. <laughs> What's the reason I, for that? Is it because their wines are horrible and they need to chill them so much that they don't want to taste anything but cold? Uh, I mean, what's why would they want to show that? I don't know. That was kind of interesting. But I do believe that a certain number of wine drinkers do put ice cubes in their wine, but I don't necessarily know the reason. That's a big percentage. 43% I know for... for of- Family members of mine who put ice cubes in their wine, their reasoning for doing it is because they like it really, really cold. But I don't know why they like it really, really cold. Do they like it really, really cold because the wine, like you just said, the flavors are not necessarily top quality or there was something that I had read. I forget when about beverages and consumption and that there are very few beverages that we drink at room temperature except for wine and that if people are casual wine drinkers and not necessarily that concerned with the aromas and the flavor profiles and like all those things it's really a kind of a jolt to the system to have something closer to room temperature that you're drinking we either drink things hot or we drink things cold and I think that the temperature that we ordinarily suggest that people drink red wines at, I mean, white wines at, is just a little too warm for a lot of people. You know, we get ice water and we get really cold sodas and we get iced tea and we get lemonade. We don't have too much that is in that like 40 to 50, do- 50 degree Fahrenheit range. It's more in the lower, those lower temperatures. So I thought that that was an interesting take on it. Definitely not caring about the the wine rules for sure. And they (laughs) said 42% fill their glass right to the top. So I'm sure the wine company loves that, that they're (laughs) consuming a little bit more than or pouring more than they should every time. But I think that that one also speaks to, well, then you're not swirling your wine. Because if you filled your glass (laughs) all the way up to the top, you can't swirl it because there's no room. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Kim and Mark. If you want more information about Kim, please go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. And you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments. Next, we want to continue with another recent study 
we saw, Kim, and it was three-fourths of people find rules of wine to be intimidating. Back to rules. And this was, again, mm. a British uh, drink business, which is a, a uh, British publication. But they were following up on the Woodbridge article we just talked about. <laughs> right. So, like, that article got some play. Yeah. I mean, and it was it was trending a lot on other wine news publications yeah. and everybody else had a different take on it. But this was the kind of the British take on it. I feel like we we're always surrounded by this idea of that wine is a little bit intimidating because there's so much complexity to it. And there's so much I feel like people assume that there's all this ritual that goes with it, which on the one hand, I, I get it because there's special glassware and you need something special to open it. And there are rules about how long you should keep it. Do you age it? All of that baggage that wine has. So, of course, people find it intimidating. And I, I feel like we spend our entire careers trying to make it accessible because there is so much of that stuff that goes along with wine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to know or understand all that stuff in order to like it and drink it and appreciate it. So I think the fact that a large segment of the population is still feeling intimidated by wine, that's not surprising to me, but it's our job to try to make that a little easier for people. So we mentioned earlier on that the, the wine searcher was a UK study and it showed that the EU was more knowledgeable than the US. So do you think this drink business article was kind of showing the UK people that the US doesn't follow the rules or, or they can't handle the rules? Because I was kind of getting that feedback from you it, getting that, they, that vibe from it. And yeah, it was like those Americans. Yeah. And they didn't really hit on a lot of the detail of the Woodbridge study. It just said the Americans are intimidated by doing this, don't like doing this. And like they didn't understand why. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at what we're drinking here or, or what's on our store shelves here compared to what people are drinking over there and on their store shelves, there's probably more Bordeaux on a supermarket shelf over in the UK than there mm -hmm. is in the US. So that type of drinker is a different type of drinker, different consumer of wine too. But I think there's also the ability to get certain types of wines in Europe that we don't necessarily get here. Like, I don't think that we have a big market for inexpensive Bordeaux, going back to Bordeaux, since that was your example, but yeah. there is certainly much more of that available in France and in England. You know, people can get the equivalent of a $10 bottle of Bordeaux that maybe isn't available in the US market. Like there are more of yeah. those everyday drinking wines that are European wines, as opposed to most of our everyday drinking wines here are wines from the United States or Australia or, you know, someplace that is producing wines that has more of that labeling that American consumers can understand. I see that kind of an, another way because there is a lot of inexpensive Bordeaux is being imported here mm -hmm. in, into the state of Massachusetts, for instance. But a lot of the you, you can only find a selection of those in probably a smaller retailer than yeah. box stores probably have one or two SKUs or one or two of those items. They don't want to have seven different ones. They just want to have a little selection of them. Okay. So I think there's a good chunk of them that come in, 
but it's harder to find at the bigger locations. That's that's the way I look at that type of a product here in the United States or even in Massachusetts. So you're um, but, you're seeing it as more of a what's available because of how our retail is structured? Yeah, because the bigger stores are more the focusing on bigger brands, getting support by bigger brands. So they might only have room for one or two of those type of wines on their mm-hmm. shelf. Smaller retailer might not focus much on the big brands. They focus on these smaller imports and might have five or six different selections okay. of that type of Bordeaux. So a lot of the wholesalers, as you know, when you worked in, in with a wholesale, they have a huge amount of Bordeaux, you know, in that inexpensive Bordeaux and it's uh over but you're right you know getting getting the stores to bring those in and really focus on hey this is great value wine and your customers will will thank you for introducing them to it because they don't have to pay a crazy amount of money and still get something that's interesting and it's great varieties that they know and they like you know who doesn't want a bottle of Cabernet with their steak so and it, it goes all back to the knowledge base. So if people right. are not wanting to learn about wine or follow the rules of wine, they're not going to want to learn about what's in a Bordeaux or like you said earlier, Chianti, same mm-hmm. with Bordeaux. They they just don't want to spend the time. So as a retailer, why would you want to stock up on a lot of those wines? Yeah. If it doesn't say Cabernet on the label or Merlot on the label, people will pass it right by. But right. it's that's exactly what's in the bottle. So that kind of falls the whole trend of the, the knowledge and the, the intimidation thing, of, I feel. You've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We always love to hear your questions and comments. We might even answer them on the air. Join us every week on Franklin Radio 102.9. WFPR, and we'll see you again next week. Cheers. Bye.